listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Good morning, church. We have been meeting back physically for several weeks now at South Point McDonough, and I never imagined that I would be once again preaching from behind a screen. But nevertheless, in God's sovereignty, here I am. Uh, here I am today. And so uh, for those of you who are gathered physically uh, at the McDonough location, welcome. For those of you who are also watching behind a screen, um, welcome. Um, glad that you have committed to gathering with God's people, uh, however that is in this very moment. So out of an abundance of caution for you and for uh, my family, uh, we thought this might be best today, um, that I would uh, preach my prepared sermon uh, in this way. I I really um, long to bring you God's word, and so I'm thankful for the means um, that this affords for us to do that. So... um, would you turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3? We'll be in verses 1 through 10 this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to say thank you uh, for those of you who already knew about my mom as of yesterday and those of you who are finding out in the service uh, today. Thank you so much for your prayers for her and, and my family as, uh, as she recovers, uh, Lord willing. When you, when you hear, I need your help with this, when you hear of Second Peter from here on out, and someone says, hey, uh, if, if you were to describe this very book, how would you describe it? Anybody? How, how would you describe this book? Uh, I initially think, and perhaps you've said it, false teachers. Uh, the last couple of weeks has, has proved that point, um, but, and, and that would be a very good characterization. We were given quite the vivid picture in chapter 2 of the character and also the condemnation of false teachers. But as we look at chapter 3 this morning, I don't want you to forget that this letter was written to Christians. It's written to Christians, and I think that you'll see that crystal clear in the text this morning. So wherever you are, if you're able, would you stand with me now to honor the reading of God's word? Second Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up by fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the bodies and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Christians must remember the promises of Christ and his sure return while enduring ridicule. Chapter 1 was filled with remembering. Now we're back there in chapter 3. So three things to help you in that remembering. The first is this. Remember what God has said. Remember what God has said. You see, Peter says he's reminding them for the second time, the first being First uh, Peter. In both his letters, his aim is to stir the readers up. And we saw in chapter 1 that, that his desire is that they would be awakened, that they would wake up. Perhaps you, Christian, have been asleep to the realities at play. But it's time to wake up. There were false prophets in the Old Testament. There are false teachers among you. And their intended outcome is that you would live however you want to live, without a concern for godliness because Jesus Christ, they say, is not coming back. So even as we get into the text this morning, why don't you take stock of your very life? Are there areas in which you have been asleep so that you aren't energized to live your life fully to the glory of God? Are, are there areas like that in your very own life that you aren't energized to live fully to the glory of God? Peter says, remember the predictions of the holy prophets, Jesus and the apostles. Acts chapter 3, verse 17 gives us a good example of, of this. Peter himself is speaking here, and he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets long ago. The prophets spoke about, Jesus himself spoke about his return. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Jesus himself, at the end of the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, said, Surely I am coming soon. You see, Jesus' return, it's all over the Bible. It's all over the New Testament. In, in the New Testament's 260 chapters, it's referred to over 300 times. Jesus is coming again, and we have a difficult time remembering this. The Bible doesn't just give us great hope for Jesus' return, though. Verse 2 says, You should remember the predictions of the prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior. 
here, that word command isn't just talking about Christ's return being promised, but it's also likely referring to the expectation as to how the Christian is to live in light of Jesus' very return. And you can't miss the context. Peter, in writing this strong word of encouragement, he's writing to a very special people. He calls them his beloved, his beloved, beloved. Are you living a life of godliness in light of the soon and sure return of Jesus Christ? That's what Peter would want us to ask ourselves this morning. Beloved, are you doing that? Are you living a life of godliness knowing that Jesus Christ is surely going to return soon? Remember what God has said. And also, second, remember that there will be scoffers. I went snow skiing for the first time my freshman year of high school with my youth group. And I remember heading down the beginner slope with a couple of my friends. Now, we had been told all of the basics about skiing. I think it's called snow plowing, that, that thing that you do to, to go ahead and, and slow down as you approach the very end. We, we'd heard all of those very basics, but uh, one of my friends in particular, as we were going down even the bunny slope, he picked up quite a bit of speed. And as we seem to be barreling towards the end of the slope, uh, he doesn't show any signs of stopping. He's not doing the slow, snow plowing. He's not doing anything like that. And all of a sudden, right before my eyes, my friend just falls over. He just, he just topples over. Okay? It, uh, apparently, he had, just like myself and my other friend, heard all of the necessary things about skiing. But he wasn't quite convinced to put it into practice. He just assumed that he'd be able to figure it out on the fly, and then the end came, and he just toppled over. Brothers and sisters, God didn't inspire the very words of the Bible just so that we would read them. He, he, he did it so that we would also heed them. If you fail to take to heart the warning, when the false teaching appears, you may not be able to figure it out on the fly. It may not be able, something for you to be able to figure out, and, and then you'll be deceived. The scoffers aren't going to come upholding God's word and his standards for living. No, they are following the principles of another. The text says that they're actually following their own sinful desires. That's what's controlling their actions. Peter is about to get into the components of their message, but don't miss this. If you were careful to watch out for the godliness of your own self, if you're careful to also watch out for the godliness of your brothers and sisters in this very church, if you're taking advantage of the obvious means to do that, like DNA and life groups in, in this very church or meals with your fellow believers, if you're doing that, you're going to spot... Or chances are you will spot a false teacher before he espouses false doctrine. So when they start asking questions like verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? When they start with the heckling, for ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation, you'll be able to first look at their life. 
Are they, are they living godly lives? These are individuals that say that they are members of the church in which Christ died for. It is absolutely okay. In fact, I would say it is necessary, according to the scriptures, that you would judge them. It is absolutely vital that we inside the church, as 1 Corinthians tells us, that we judge one another. Remember what God has said, that there will be scoffers. And third, as you judge their very message, remember the character of God. Remember the character of God. The scoffers we see in verse 5 have done the exact opposite. In fact, they completely overlook the fact that, one, God is creator. So the scoffers have produced this, this argument that goes something like this. Jesus can't possibly be returning because everything is exactly the same as it was since creation. And Peter says, as a means of encouragement to his beloved to press on in the midst of this talk, remember that the scoffers can't possibly say that God hasn't intervened in the world because there's the true historic biblical narrative that says, verse 5, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through the water by the word of God. The argument doesn't end here, however. Verse 6, look there with me. And that, by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. You see, if God hasn't intervened on behalf of his creation, if the world is exactly the same as it was since creation, then what do you do with God's creating and molding in the beginning of human history? And then what do you do with Genesis 6 through 8 when God sends a flood to his very created order for its destruction? God has issued all of this through his word. And if he has done this and intervened in these very ways at the beginning of human history, if he has intervened by uh, destroying his very own creation, then verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. If... God intervened at creation, verse 5. And if God intervened at the flood in judgment, then he can be expected to do it again in the returning of Christ Jesus, verse 7. Not only do the scoffers deny that God is creator, but also that God is eternal. Scoffers are going to argue that too much time has passed since Christ was here on this earth for him to actually follow through with his promised return again. But listen, here's what Peter says. The delay in Christ's return doesn't prove that it won't occur because of verse 8. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Psalm 90 verse 4 reads like this, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. We know that God is omniscient. We know that God knows everything, that God is omnipresent, that he is everywhere. So he views time differently than us. God transcends time. He's outside of time. He's operating as time's creator, as he is. What we need to be okay with as Christians in this time of waiting is the tension between Jesus' very imminent return and with 
our inability to know when that exactly will happen. It's tension. It's not an argument against his not returning. And third, God is merciful. Verse 9. It's tremendous. I referenced it last week. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's word that should have been seen as good for all, as should have been seen good for all who would submit to it, believe it, and live it, was the very words in which were used against him. This certainly is a testament to the demonic forces that were at play in the scoffers' lives and in the actions of the scoffers in which infiltrated the church that Peter's writing to and which are infiltrating our own. While the false teachers say that God has made a promise that he can't keep, while they say, look, you can't keep saying that Jesus is coming soon. God hasn't produced, so he's obviously failed you. God's word gives us another reason for the delay. And that reason for the delay is much better than you could possibly imagine. God has delayed because he's merciful. Listen, if God doesn't operate in time like you and I do, because he is creator of time, because he transcends time, because he is outside of time himself, then he isn't slow to keep his promises either. Would you receive that this morning, beloved? God is not slow to keep his promises. God isn't slow. He's very patient. Can I admit something to you? Sometimes... Uh, when I'm playing hide-and-seek with my kids at the house, especially my four-year-old, I count for a really long time. Um, I, I count for a really long time, not just to extend the game, but I count for a really long time to sit on the couch a little longer. God isn't operating like that. He, he operates outside of time. I'm operating very much within the confines of time. I can't operate on any other plane, and you can't either. 20 seconds is the only 20 seconds that I know. There's no other way for me to operate. And this, this fact kind of made Jonah upset, actually. It's one of the reasons that kept him initially from going to Nineveh. He said, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. God isn't being patient, hear this, because he wants some more time of inactivity. He wants to sit back on the heavenly couch, if you will, for some, lo- some time longer. No, he's being patient because of his greater desire. He isn't wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The false teachers should have seen God's delay as mercy, but instead they saw it as fuel for their own agenda. They should have seen the delay and repented of their sins while it was still today, while there was still time. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 speaks to a people who presume on the riches of God, to presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance. People who were supposed to realize that it is actually God's kindness that leads to repentance. It should, have, it should be taken in first the context that it's written as we read that very verse. 
to Peter's readers. And it's inclusive of even the scoffers that God would desire that even they would repent of their sins. If only they would repent. If only you would repent of your sins, you would have life everlasting. If only you would repent, you would have fellowship with the merciful creator God. If you're hearing this today and you think to yourself, I can do this later. There is some other time in my life when I can get things right, when I can get things squared away with creator God. I can repent even on my deathbed. Don't presume on God's kindness presented before you in this moment. Repent now. Finally, God is just. God is just. Verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The promise of Jesus Christ's return will one day be fulfilled. That's sure, church. He is coming. He will return again. And that day, the day of the Lord, will be an awful one for those who have to experience it in judgment. That day won't come with warning. The scriptures scriptures are clear. Listen, you can look all you want at the signs of the time. You can look at everything that is happening around us. And you can think about uh, particular things that are happening. You can hear the testimony of the false teachers around you saying that Jesus won't ever come again. But the day of the Lord is going to come, and it's going to come and surprise everyone. It's going to surprise everyone. Whatever is going to happen on the day of the Lord, that is sure that God's judgment against sin is coming. That's what we know. God's judgment against sin will happen. And when it comes, it will be purifying. Not one bit of sin will remain here. Not one bit of it. And it will be awful. Not one ounce, not one iota of unrighteousness will be left. It will all be burned up. And when you see it, you will know that God is completely fair. That God is completely just. That God is righteous in all his ways. And that his patience has seemed to go on far too long. That's what we'll know. And that's what we'll see and experience the day of the Lord. You see, I think about Jesus coming back a lot right now. I I said it several weeks ago. I hear it all around me. I've heard you, my brothers and sisters, say it. Come, Lord Jesus. And that is a good and right sentiment. We absolutely want Jesus to return now in this very moment that he would come and that he would do away with all sin on this earth and that only righteousness would prevail. I think about Jesus coming a lot right now. Peter's audience, his original audience did too because they were exiles 
He knew that if they could just be stirred just a little, if he could wake them up just a little to remember Christ's sure return, that it would quench their thirsty souls and provoke them to live lives of godliness. If you and I would actually move from the, uh, the, the thinking to the, to the actual living that Christ is certainly going to return soon. That's what Peter would want for us today. That is how God would want for us to live. But he also knew that the longer Christ delayed, it would get tiring and more difficult to stand. And so while I think about Jesus coming back a lot, and perhaps you do too, while we talk a lot about Jesus coming back in this moment, what happens when he doesn't? What happens when tomorrow comes and then the next day comes and then weeks come by and then 2,000 years have gone by? What happens then? What happens is what Peter is writing against. We drift. I drift. You drift. I drift into the cares of this world. I drift into unrepentance. I drift into thinking that I can get to know God later through his word. I drift into thinking that I'll be able to disciple and train my own children later. I drift into thinking that the culture actually has some answers for me that will lead to godliness and will lead to life in God. I drift into thinking that I can tell my friends about hope in Jesus Christ later. That's, that's what happens when you and I drift. Why do you drift? Perhaps because you think like I do, that Jesus Christ himself is actually not going to return anytime soon. Where are you drifting in your life, disciple? Where is it in your life that you are drifting, beloved? Remember today, may you long for Christ's soon return and live as though it is today calling others to do the same. See, Christians, we must remember the promises of Christ and his sure return while enduring ridicule. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this moment. We know that it is your sovereign plan as creator God who is just who's merciful, who is eternal, that we would be gathering in this very way, in this very moment for your very purposes. And God, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, you would stir us as your people to affection in Christ Jesus, that we would be stirred to godly living. Father, I pray that you would root out any drifting, that you would convict us of those areas in which we have just thought we will deal with later. Father, would you help us as your people to come and lay those things before you, that we would submit our, those kinds of areas in our lives before you, that we would desire to live godly lives, that we would desire to live holy lives as you've commanded us to do and that you would conform us more into the image of your son even by hearing your very word today. God, would you help us take part in the advancing of your kingdom here on earth? Would we not tarry 
and telling our friends about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus? Would we not delay if there are individuals who are watching this today that have never trusted in Christ Jesus by faith, would we not delay in repenting of our sins while it is still today? God, I pray that you would make us a people who love your word, are conformed into it and by it, that we would live accordingly and that we would understand the grace that has been afforded to us in Christ Jesus. And would we anxiously await Christ's return? And it's in his name that we pray. Amen, church.